We always knew a podcast was an upwards future. Some of the best and most stimulating conversation we've had has been with our very own upward citizens as kind of off the cuff, out of the box, drive by dialogue. And, you know, we exist as a space where diverse perspectives can come together to breed originality, knowing that the greatest takeaway from that is a more established and deeper personal and professional relationship. We thought we'd explore some interesting topics of our own in a format that encourages organic and elevated conversation and connections between participants and listeners alike. So why not put our own stamp on a podcast? Welcome. You're listening to Upward Hartford's podcast, Word Up. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Dave Rudman, Executive Director at WSET Americas, and Lelania Dubay, Creatrix and Infusionary at the Hartford Flavor Company. Our co-host today, Samantha Wanigal, Director of Operations at Upward. Lelania, thank you for making time to meet with us today. I was on a webinar that you were a panelist on, and I found it really interesting how your company pivoted during the pandemic and working long hours in a factory and, and getting last minute information from the government and being nimble to that. How do you not get stressed out? Do you have a go-to remedy or a cocktail? Uh, it's mostly uh, I do yoga and meditation and that really helps me to stay centered I take long walks in the woods sometimes hang out in my garden get my hands in the soil works a lot too it's definitely can be incredibly stressful and so taking a little bit of self-care time is essential to the long haul that is this pandemic it's, uh, I thought I worked hard before, but now it's been a little bit frantic, let's put it that way. And so taking a pause is essential. Interesting fact, Elenia, Hartford Flavor and Upward share a deeper connection rooted in Hartford's history. Um, I learned this. So correct me if I'm wrong, but your building is where the first paid telephone was created back in the 19th century, right? Yep, Gray Industries. Okay, so oddly enough, Upward will soon be launching our boutique co-living suites downtown at 196 Trumbull, which is the Hubline building, which was home to GF Hubline and Brothers, a liquor and wine company. And in that building was created the very first bottled cocktail in 1892. So ironic that we share this conversation today. Absolutely. Hubline was the first uh, distillery in, in Hartford and the largest distillery in the country in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so we are deeply honored to be the second distillery in Hartford and the first distillery in Hartford in 40 years. That's amazing. So cheers to us both inhabiting spaces filled with firsts. And I'd like to think maybe long lasting vibes of ingenuity just resound the hallways there, right? I love it. <laughs> Super fascinating. I just took a hike to the tower, the Hubline Tower up on Talcott Ridge this past weekend. That just came full circle. Yep, yep, that's the same guy, same guy. <laughs> okay, Dave. To many, your team has the most envious job out of all Upward Citizens. Uh, in your conference rooms, there seems to be an unending supply of bottles of wine, spirits, sake, you know, lined up for the tastings. Your staff is always seen swirling and sniffing and studying legs on a glass or staring eloquently at the presentation screens, which usually map out exotic countries and pictures of grape clusters and other mouth-watering fruits. I'm sure you found us pressed against and fogging up the glass windows on occasion, just yearning to be invited in. But aside from all of that, on a serious note, there is a critical educational component to what's taking place in your meetings. 
And I can understand and appreciate that they're not just happy hours. But talk to me about how one such as yourself goes from what I'm assuming an enthusiast to a bona fide expert and educator in your arena. How does that happen? Pretty much anything in the world, there's intelligence and there's wisdom, and they're not the same thing, and they can be acquired differently at different times at different rates. So a lot of people get a lot of wisdom by working in the wine and spirits industry. And so by doing the work and by working with other people who are doing that work, who've been doing it longer, you can build up a lot of wisdom in the area. But wisdom isn't always intelligence because uh, when you work in, especially in the restaurant hospitality business, like I did for a long time, uh, not all of the information that you get is correct. So there's sort of a strong likelihood that bad information just gets repeated over and over and it, people believe it to be true because they've heard it so many times. So that's where you need the intelligence that comes not from experience doing the work, but from actual study and from consulting academic sources of knowledge as opposed to sort of just doing the job and picking up the knowledge as you go. And that's what WSCT really provides. Working in Upward as WSET Americas, we look after all of the business for North and South America for WSET, which stands for the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. And we're the largest provider of wine and spirits qualifications in the world. So when you study with WSET, you're getting that intelligence. You don't have to have worked in the business for a long time. A lot of people are just enthusiasts, like you say. You maybe have been working in the business for 30 years, uh, but you want to come and make sure that the facts that you've picked up along the way are the, the real deal. So we try to provide that objective, um, factual knowledge that you can use to increase your wine and spirits and sake intelligence. Very cool. Okay, I want to go back to Belenia, and I'm fascinated by the organic non-GMO at the heart of what you produce. What made that a, a centerfold passion for what you guys have created over there at Hartford Flavor? So when I started this whole adventure, I couldn't drink anymore because of all the chemical additives and artificial flavors, colors in alcohol. Not everything has it, but uh, enough things have it so that I would feel ill after a cocktail, which is not fun. And um, I went six month detox right before I invented my first liqueur and just kind of cleaned all of the chemicals out of my system. And then I became hypersensitive to chemicals. And as I made my first liqueur in my kitchen, just for my own use, I was became really aware of what was going to be in this. And I was very thoughtful to make sure that it was going to be, if I was going to do this, it was going to be organic. It was going to be gluten-free. It was going to be GMO-free. Those things matter to me because we don't, we don't know what's happening with those plants. I'm a landscape designer first. And so my passion is definitely the plants. And this is about preserving those organic, beautiful plants in spirits so that we can have a cocktail, a clean, bright, natural cocktail that celebrates the plants, not created in a lab via chemicals and questionable ingredients. So this is plants in a glass. That's really beautiful. I love that. So Dave, 
briefly as quickly as possible. I dabbled in this back in college in wines and vines and hospitality world that I came from as well. What is your stance on the cork versus a synthetic cork versus a screw top? I just gotta know. The downside with cork, the reason to not use traditional cork is that some percentage of trees that produce the cork that's used to make wine corks are infected with the bacteria. And when that happens, the cork that seals your wine will contain that bacteria and the bacteria will get into the wine. It causes the wine to have like a musty, moldy, basementy kind of wet newspaper smell. It's really off-putting. Uh, it's what we in the business refer to as corkedness. So if your wine is corked, it's not going to hurt you, but it's going to smell and taste bad. It's going to take away all of the, the bright, fruity aromas that you would want in your glass. It's going to replace with those, those bad aromas. So why wouldn't you just go to synthetic cork or screw cap where there's absolutely no chance of any of that happening? Well, because the people who buy expensive wine think that synthetic cork and screw caps are cheap alternatives and they're not down with it. So using a traditional cork, it's still a signifier of premium. So it is still used by, by wineries who rely on, on, uh, on that perception of premiumness uh, in the market. Places that don't care about any of that stuff, like Australia. I mean, they, Australia doesn't care. They're like, oh, you know, our wines are great. We don't, you know, we don't care. We're just going to use the best seal that we can find. So uh, they tend to have embraced the newer formats more. But uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. In my opinion, the best bottle of wine is an open bottle of wine. So. There you go. <laughs> open and empty. Well, fit in well in Australia, right? Exactly. All right, our team has done a great deal of research coming up with fascinating words to spark conversation. And without further ado, the word of the day is intuition. Okay, my intuition told me that that was what the word was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we could give you a little bit of direction too. You know, I, I often think about sensing versus intuition. Sensing and intuition are opposite preferences. Person's natural tendency toward one will be stronger than the other. There are by far more sensing people uh, in the population than intuitives. Uh, sensors make up almost three-fourths of all people with intuitives, just over 26%. Is intuition better than sensing? I think they're the same thing. I think that they're the people that are intuitives have just learned to tune into their frequency a little bit better. Uh, we are all those, you know, light beings that can tune into anything at any time. We just choose to not. And so the better you get at tuning into your frequency, the more intuition you are allowed to have. And it's all about raising your own consciousness so that you can get to those places so that you can understand and use intuition as a better tool for everyday living and for business decisions and for how you function in life. Yeah, I agree. I would say that intuitives are practicing a more enlightened and enlightened version of, of sensing. They are picking up the more subtle frequencies that are coming from their own bodies and minds as opposed to what's coming from external sources. So they're relying on their senses to make decisions, but they're getting more information. They're making 
decisions based on uh, just a, a larger and more uh, subtle and complex frequency of, uh, of, of sensory input. And in either camp, it can be misapplied or it can be applied to, to good use. So one isn't better than, than another if your information is bad or your intentions are bad. But I would tend to say that if you're intuitive, it means that you're just listening to a little bit more. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Samantha, what are your thoughts on that? Intuition, commonly referred to as gut instinct, right, is one's immediate understanding of something. You know, there's no need to think it over or get another's opinion. You just know. You know when you know, right? And in fact, the gut has over 100 million nerve cells, making it almost a brain in itself. And not to get extra nerdy here, but recent scientific evidence has shown that the ENS or the enteric nervous system found in the gut actually evolved before the CNS or the central nervous system in the brain. So regardless of what came first, when we are smacked with that initial gut feeling about something, and we tend to push it to the side right away to allow logic to weigh in. I'm always envious of the people who can just stick to their very first instinctual response and run with it. And I'm, I'm curious, do you think that there is something different about those individuals or what is different about those individuals? And how can we actively manifest that same practice as part of our decision-making toolkit? I think it comes from a, a trust in the latent intelligence and wisdom of your biological body, which is, you know, we are in an age of hyper-dualism where we uh, are just doing everything we can and building a lifestyle and a society around the separation of the mind and the body. And we pay increasingly little attention to our bodies as we possess this latent intelligence, this cellular intelligence, when from a very young age, we, we stop listening to what our biological body is trying to tell us. Because this stuff isn't like very complicated, you know? Um, feel like a hundred years ago if you had like a sore like tooth you would be like oh I should go to the dentist like I know what this is like I have a sore tooth <laughs> I need to get it looked at but now the first thing we do is google our symptoms and look for like all of the obscure possible diseases that have ever had like, this particular symptom uh, listed amongst them and what's the optimum combination of lifestyle interventions and pharmaceutical interventions that I can use. Other research that is really trendy right now points to the fact that we might inherit cellular intelligence from our parents. So if something stressful happened to our parents during their lifetime, it could encode irrevocable changes to their genetic code, which can get passed down to their offspring, which is amazing and, and cool stuff to look into. But there's increasing evidence that, that we have this but we are choosing to ignore it in our, in our lives. So I think that is, that's a difference. The person who can go with their gut instinct, as you say, and relies on their intuition, that takes, it's a leap of faith. That's saying, despite all of like, society around me saying to ignore that stuff and just, you know, I've got all this information available to me. I'm going to rely on on what I know to be true because my body's telling me that it's true. That's and that's uh, yeah, that's intuition. I think it's actually interesting you bring that up. I wonder if some of those people have actually inherited that DNA, and I I don't know how one would prove that. You know, I don't know that that's part of 23andMe, but uh, 
the field is called epigenetics. So the idea that, that we can actually have genetic changes that manifest on an extremely short scale of time. You know, we're used to thinking about genetic changes manifesting over very long periods of time in traditional evolution, but we, we, we actually, there's evidence that we can see it. So that parents who, you know, uh, are from war-torn countries or, went, or were like Holocaust survivors and like had these like, immense physical stresses and psychological stresses uh, that they endured, that that does imprint uh, changes to, to their genome which are then passed on to their offspring. Okay, so from a genomic standpoint, Lelania, what do you think when we say the phrase women's intuition, you know, and you hear it so common, I've never heard said men's intuition, although I don't know that there's a difference there. Do you think that is just a statement or do you think there's any merit to it? So I think as women, we're more in touch with our inner being in general there's the, you know, man, macho, you know, have to be not in touch with his feelings kind of purveyance over society in general that we live in right now. And so I think it's mostly that women are just allowed to be more emotional, more in touch with their feelings. And to me, intuition is being about in touch with those feelings. You know, here's a dilemma here. I can go this way or I can go that way. And which one feels better to me? And it's about trusting yourself. And so I, I think that as women, we are allowed to do that more versus men in our society. And I would love to see that change. Yeah, it would be fascinating to see that change. It kind of reminds me of how, you know, all the talk about the confidence code and women have a tendency not to take risks as often as men do. And, and so men can appear to be almost more intuitive, right? So they, they, they go with their gut more often, probably because they do take risks more often than, than your, your general, like you said, it's pervade across. It's not everybody. I think all four people in this room probably don't operate that way. But in general, I don't know that they're getting what they want more often or going after their gut instinct more often because they have a stronger gut instinct. Perhaps there is that male, female. Whereas if we're having a stronger gut instinct, but we also have that other half of us that says, I can't go after that career opportunity until I have all of the boxes checked, or I can't, you know, just go all in because I have all of these other things that rely upon me or all these other priorities in life. So interesting you bring that up. I definitely think that's part of it is that women have all these other burdens in society that are men don't always have. And I think that there's becoming more equality, uh, but certainly when I was younger, there's a definitely the, still that divide of women's work and men's work. And so women don't allow themselves to have enough oomph in society. They don't take that leap of, okay, I'm just going to go for it and, you know, let everything be damned to hell because I'm going to, I'm going to make this choice because I know it's right for me. So that courage, I think, is going to happen more and more as women follow their intuition and allow themselves to step out into the light and, you know, let the consequences fall where they may and not care about what people think so much about, you know, oh, I'm, if I do that, I'm gonna get judged by X, Y, and Z. And whatever that is, men have, have a little bit less of that than women do, about that fear of judgment, uh, that fear of worthiness. And so uh, I'm hoping that we're at the age of Aquarius now, we just stepped in, and I wanna see women rise. I think this is the time where women will rise and think eventually, hopefully we will have a woman president one day. So everyone, all women have to step up and step into the light to be able to make that happen for other women too. 
I think the concept of failing up, which is something that we see happening predominantly to men, really goes to prove a lot of that point out, Lulania, where um, society is almost putting an intrinsic value on appearing to act from, you know, appearing to go with your gut and using your intuition, even if it doesn't lead to success. Because we see a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs these days who haven't actually ever created anything profitable or of value, but they continue to move up and they continue to get higher and higher valuations as they get more and more investors because society likes people who just who just do it and don't are aggressive and don't spend a lot of time thinking about it now whether or not their intuitions are correct is a different matter and you know that's why it's failing up but um i think to your point um part of the reason why maybe men you know do tend to dominate the upper levels of business is isn't because, as we know, it's not because we necessarily make better decisions, but it's because society expects us to and enables us to just make the decisions. And when we act in that way, which is perceived as, you know, a traditionally masculine way, people are rewarded just for doing that. I agree. I agree that failing up idea is a is a real thing, and men are rewarded for their bravery in ideas more than women are just because of the act. I completely agree, Dave. With what the world has been facing over the past few months and will continue to face ongoing, I can't help but sense a massive shift in consciousness happening right now, whether it's through spirituality, fear, self-awareness. In general, I have to assume that intuition will play a more active role in worldwide transformation of normalcy. What are your thoughts on that? I definitely see a shift in consciousness already. Uh, people are, in the beginning, uh, in the first few weeks, there was so much fear. And I see that calming down in my daily travels. I've been going to hospitals a lot to, uh, to donate hand sanitizer. And people are either part of the solution or part of the problem. And the people that are part of the solution are changing their mind from the fear into a place of positivity, of how can we help and how can we solve this and how can we be there for each other because we are in this together and i've seen that shift very markedly from that place of real fear like oh my god what is going to happen to okay we're going to get through this and we're going to take every day one step at a time and we're going to do what we can for ourselves to stay safe but we're also going to do what we can for our neighbors for the people around us checking on people kindness i think is up uh, mostly and i do know that we will be come out of this in a new place completely we have to this is the universe giving us a chance to uh go to our rooms and think about what we've done and come out of this in a more positive more reverent more uh, aware way of thinking and doing and living so as counterpoint, I agree with everything Lelania said, but there's, for every light, there's a shadow and there's a dangerous side to using our intuition um, as opposed to using the scientific method to make decisions for ourselves and for our society. 
and for our country. So, you know, intuitively, I don't know anyone who has been sick. And I don't see a lot of economic carnage or I don't see a lot of loss of life or suffering. So intuitively, it should be okay for me to go to a restaurant and not wear a mask, right? And it's, it's not true. It's really dangerous. And when we start ignoring the factual evidence and what we know things about germ theory and things that we've studied in the past historically about pandemics and how we've gotten through them and what worked and what didn't work, there's a, it's very, very dangerous to just go with your gut when you don't know the full situation. So a little bit of a, a dark side, I guess, to unbridled intuition during a pretty dangerous time. I think it's fair to discuss how intuition can work against us too. That's a good point. So if intuition were to be a signature cocktail, what would be in it? It would be my rose and the finest champagne. Chartreuse. Chartreuse. I don't even think I know how to spell that. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Word up. Can I say word to your mother? (laughs) It's going in. Word up. And until next time. You've been listening to Upward Hartford's podcast, Word Up.